Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. people. This is Brad King. You were listening to the Downtown Rider Jam podcast. Today's interview is in the basement of Metonymy Media, which is a company over in Fountain Square in Indianapolis. It's run by a bunch of MFAs. They are one of the for-profit riding companies here in town, and they are co-hosting an event called the Etchings Fest, which is run by the University of Indianapolis. Um, It has a student press there called Etchings Press, and uh, there's three workshops that were going on, uh, poetry, fiction, and nonfiction, and they had people that were um, publishing their chapbooks uh, down there delivering it, so it was great, and while all these folks were coming into town, I thought, what a great time to go grab some folks who are not necessarily from the Indianapolis area. So today, we are very happy to have uh, Kelly Allen, who is one of the most interesting guests that we've had on the show so far. Um, well-traveled, has lived everywhere, is an artist in pretty much every sense of the word. Uh, and despite the fact that I had told her I do no preparation before these interviews. So what you're going to hear at the beginning is just that, some of the awkwardness. But that's the wonderful part about the podcast is that you get to meet authentically the writers in the same way that I do. And so... Our conversation actually ended up being really interesting. Um, she was really much less interested in talking about herself um, and more about uh, teaching and the idea of writing. Um, and there was this there's a turning point that happened when um, we sort of reached that moment where we, I think, found some common ground on stuff. And, and the whole conversation was great. Like, I love getting to know people um, and getting to find out their process, because in that process, you really hear um, the touch points and the pressure points and the things that they like and that they don't like and the ways in which they phrase things and think about things. So what you're going to hear today and what I'm very excited to present is Kelly Allen as part of the Downtown Riders Jam podcast. Recorded at Etchings Fest over at Metonymy Media. Enjoy. All right, so you are, you're down from Michigan? Is that, where's Lindenwood? Where's it at? Where's, are you here in town? No. Where are you from? You didn't do very good research. I didn't. You didn't. St. Louis. Oh. Yeah, Lindenwood is actually in St. Charles. Okay. Yeah. So did you drive down here today? Yesterday. Okay, so at least you didn't do the five-hour drive, like, this morning to come teach this. Five hours. Mm-mm, no. Uh, my best friend lives in St. Louis, so I'm there all the time. Why? Why does your friend live in St. Louis? She's from there. Okay. So we go down there, and my wife and I go down and hang out. So, uh, are you from, say, are you from that area? How do you end up there? Where, how do you end up? I grew up in the military. 
Oh, so you grew up everywhere. Everywhere. Um, where were you born? In Louisville, Kentucky. Oh. Mm-hmm. And wh- was your dad or mom in the military? Father. And what, what branch? Army. So you guys moved around? All over Germany. All, yeah. And then up and down Texas. In and out of the Midwest occasionally. Yeah. Germany to Texas seems to be, I have several friends that have, they make that, that seems to be a route. Yeah. Base hopping. It's pretty standard. It hasn't really changed in the last 40 years. How long were you in, like, did you grow up there, like in Germany? Off and on. So a good 14 years. So you were in different schools. Oh, everywhere. Yeah. When did you, did, when did you start riding? Like, were you like one of those kids that were like riding when you were like two? Yeah. Mostly about unicorns, but still. Really? Why unicorns? Why unicorns? Because why not? Because why not? Anything magical, anything to do with fairy tales, anything to do with mythology. So did... Did your mom and dad read you that stuff when you were kids? Yes, I had an extensive library. I have no siblings, so we had books everywhere. And my father was a musician, so he introduced me really early to The Doors and Three Dog Night. Three Dog Night's amazing. Right? A lot of storytelling bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, really, up until the 70s, like, that's what it was, right? Like, there wasn't a three-minute, like... No, no, these epic, huge songs. Like nine-minute story, yeah. yeah. Telling some massive opera, that's what I wrote. So your dad was a musician and in the Army. Yes. So how does that work? Oh, he just played on the side. Okay. Several shitty bands. <laughs> yeah, guitar and percussionist. And what did your mom do? What did my mom do? My mom was a roadie for a while. Yeah? Yeah. Is that how they met? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, my mom uh, went to a billiard and lied about her age, and yeah, they hooked up while he was... Um, back from base and got together so she was a roadie for a while like when you, when you were in Germany what was she doing there nothing being, raising you yeah being mom so was there a lot at the house like you said you had an extensive library was like mm-hmm. she a reader like did exactly. you guys do stuff so you guys read together or yeah. she read to you and I had full access to anything nothing was censored really so I didn't grow up with children's books at all it was here is the adult library go for it yeah my friend has raised his kids that way. And he also let them make their own, like, when you want to go to bed. Like, they were very free. Yeah. And now as adults, or like young adults, they are very, like, they understand how the world works. Well, exactly. Discipline is self-taught, I think. I mean, or you get it or beat into you and then you not. rebel your whole life about how terrible it is. Either way, yeah. Uh, so, what kind of kid were you in school? If you're bouncing around a lot, were you like... Precarious, or were you the kid that sat in the corner and wrote poetry? Yes and yes. Yes? Yeah, I went through grades quickly, skipped a few. Really? Yeah, studied everything. So you were the smart kid? Yes. Um, do you, is it because your parents, do you think, because you had access to all that stuff as a kid? And Probably a lot of it was having access, and a lot of it was not having siblings. You know, and being bounced around so much, what do you have? You've got books, and you've got story, music, theater. Spent a lot of time on stage. In school? In school, out of school, different troops, yeah. Dancing. Was that a way, so my wife was a ballet dancer. Oh, um, I did ballet for a long time. Was that a way to make friends, like, the, it, through the arts is, for you? It is, especially through, like, middle school and high school, you get into um, a theater group, but instantly you try out for a playwright and boom, friends. Same thing with the dance company. Yeah. So, that really has surrounded you your whole life. Like, that's been the thing that has followed you around. Mm-hmm. What point did you think, I think I might want to do this? As a, a writer? Mm-hmm. Always a writer. So, but as a career, you thought, like... Always a career? Yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, this is what they tell me. Okay. Yeah, I teach. That's what I do for money. Sure, but you teach. Writing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. 
I think I always knew I'd be in front of a classroom in some way or another. Really? But I really thought it would be more of a stage component. So like never theater. live in the Midwest. Yeah, right. Right, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm familiar with that yeah. refrain. Stay in the theater, stay with the dance company, right on the side. Teach philosophy, maybe. Yeah. That's what I do. Writing on the side is always a thing. People like my dad was like, you can teach and you can write in your free time. I'm like, there's no free time. Yeah, when I was 19, that sounded great. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah, there's that doesn't exist as a thing. Uh-uh. Um, so wh- where did you go to college at? I went to several schools. Of course you did. Of course I did. Yeah. Um, actually, Purdue uh-huh. for a while. I was out here and spent some time in West Lafayette. That was fun. Why did you bounce around? What, like because you're restless? Following just different different disciplines, yeah. different professors that I was interested in studying with. As an undergraduate, you were like and that. And as a graduate, yeah. Um, so, Purdue, where else? KU. Kansas? Yeah, okay. Kansas. SLU. Okay. WashU. Uh-huh. And the University of Missouri. So, you stayed in the... In the Midwest yeah. for schools, yeah. Yeah, so for not wanting to stay in the Midwest, you have done a terrible job I know. I know. <laughs> of branching out. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what did you study? I've studied everything. Really? So political science, philosophy, creative writing, comparative lit. And what are you getting your MFA? I have an MFA from the University of Missouri. In? In creative writing, emphasis huh. in poetry, and creative nonfiction. So lots. Is that one or is that several? That's, that's one degree. Okay, that sounds like lots of degrees. And is that, did you do, was that it? Or did you do other things? Because now I get the sense that you might have lots of other things. I have lots of other things. <laughs> we don't need to talk about my CV. It's, it's big. It's big. Why? Why? Yeah. Why not? There's so much. I would be in school forever if I could. Yeah. Well, and that's why it's interesting like to that, talk. Right? I do. Yeah. I do. There's too much to learn. Yes. In fact, I went back and after I got my master's, I was almost tenured and went back to start to get another master's just because I found some stuff that I thought was interesting and wanted to do it. Well, and if you want to teach other disciplines, you have to have certain degrees. You've got to jump through at least a few of the hoops. Yeah. And that was a big deal to me. Yeah. To be able to teach in disciplines I cared about. Mine was always I wanted to be able to get, like I've never been to the the, the big conference for the thing that I teach. And I told folks, like, I want to get tenure without ever going there. Like, I want to be good enough that you have to give me tenure despite not participating in the things you want me to. What is your big conference? Uh, it's AJMC, so um, journalism okay. um, and mass education. I don't even know. A- we do AWP. Yeah. That's, yeah. Um, that's actually one I want to go to that I've never been to because in journalism and creative nonfiction on that side, AWP is not a thing that they recognize. Creative nonfiction, though. Not in not in the journalism side of things. In the creative, it's so weird. Like only in academia are those things separated. Yeah, that's odd. Yeah, we're like, we have a creative nonfiction part in our university, and then we teach creative nonfiction and journalism as well. And never the two shall meet, which is so weird. Because when I was at a mag, when I was at Wired, we wouldn't hire journalists to do our big stories. We hired people with creative writing degrees. Because you can't teach story. No, you to a journalist. Teach, you can't teach story in general. Yeah. Right, but you can't you certainly can't teach it to a journalist. You have to have somebody that already knows how to do that. I can teach you how to not make up stuff. That's pretty simple to do. Um, and so for our big feature stuff, we almost never hired somebody with a journalism degree because they were terrible storytellers. You know, and that's probably why so many of the articles that come out of Wired are good. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they still do that, but it is a if you're writing about complicated subjects, you need people that understand narrative flow and Absolutely. Character and plot device, and that there's journalism schools don't teach that hmm. who, what, where, when, why. So, what disciplines did you want to teach? <laughs> I wanted to teach 
poetry. Yeah. Not necessarily poetry writing, but exploration study of classics, um, philosophy, uh-huh. certainly, and fringe things. So like horror uh-huh. and the new weird and flash and micro, uh-huh. uh, non-narrative, deep image poetry, stuff like that. What? A, what? Why? How do you end up there? Like, what is it that draws you into those spaces? Such a vague question. It is. Because those are the things that matter. Why? Like, why do they, like, to you, why do they matter? Like, what is it about? Yeah. Okay. So you know who Bill Stafford is? I don't. Who's Bill Stafford? William Stafford. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Bill Stafford says in his poem, Bifocal, that the world happens twice. Once the way we see it as... And second, it legends itself deep the way it is. So poetry is all concerned with the way it is, right? Not the way we see it as. And the fringe things deal with that, that ooey-gooey, the subconscious business, right? The stuff we keep in our guts. Mm-hmm. The non-domestic. That's the stuff that keeps us going. That's why we're here. I'm not interested in any of the rest of it. So... It's interesting because I, so I can trace my literary folks, right? Like Nathaniel Hawthorne, Fitzgerald, um, you know, all the way through David Foster Wallace and Hunter Thompson. And I always tell, but he's the same as Nathaniel Hawthorne to me because here's why. They both look at what happens when you look at the American dream. Right, like Nathaniel Hawthorne is really about like, hey, there's this stuff, and everything that takes place in the dark in that book, right, in, in the Scarlet Letter, is what is truth, right, and everything that's not. And what I sort of trace through, like Fitzgerald, is all about like, yeah, you can do this thing, but it's tearing you apart inside because this is not real, right? Like all of those things sort of trace that idea of what you think is real is not, and it will kill you if you do it. So to me, like it. Well, that's what magical realism is about, too. Sure. You know, which is why I love that so much. Right. Yeah, Wallace was, I think, a little more concerned with what happens on the other side. Mm-hmm. Right? Than Hawthorne. I see Yeah. I mean, they were just thematic things. Like, you know, it's like, I always tell my students, like, the worst thing you can do is, like, interpret a rose in a piece, right? Because somebody's like, I just needed a flower, and I was <laughs> thinking about a rose, <laughs> right? Like, and it's not a... It's not a thing. Um, so it's always interesting to me, like, where, how people get to the thing that they think is important. Because I think, again, once you get underneath it, but it's usually that same, it is the thing that touches me. Because I'm from the working class. So this idea of Hawthorne, Watt, like all of those people sort of saying this thing that you think you're going to aspire to is going to kill you because it's not real. You're going to get there and it's not real. And then what? And th- that's actually the problem, right? And then what? Gatsby gets shot in the pool like that's what happens right like David Foster Wallace actually kills himself like Fitzgerald is a miserable person throughout most of his life because of this idea of this eternal search to be a part of a thing that he's not that goes all the way back to the romantics right right for me so you're asking impetus and I I think a lot of impetus for me was Blake you know getting to read Blake and having you know my father throw Whitman at me and look at this. I love women. I do too. And right. Even D.H. Lawrence. Yeah. You know, my mom was just going to read D.H. Lawrence. I almost got fired from middle school by te- for teaching Leaves of Grass when I was teaching. Nice. I taught one year. Good. And they told me, uh, and we just did the little um, I Contain Multitudes part, like the three pages, right? Because I'm like, they're 13. 
this is the most important time for them to understand that you can both be this and that, and yeah. that is you. I yeah, and I got called in the principal's office, and they said, if I ever... Yeah, because it wasn't on the approved reading list. You know what you need to do next and teach Lolita? You know, <laughs> I get in trouble for that one? That's a good time. Just find I the line. <laughs> teaching Lolita this quarter. It's okay. Do you, so, um, so you graduate... How long have you been teaching college? For a long time. Yeah? Like, is that, like, the job you had out of... Oh, I've had a lot of jobs. Yeah. Many things. So you're restless. It's hard to be landlocked. Yeah. I know I have no intention of staying in the Midwest. I need to be near the ocean. How long have you been in the Midwest? Uh, about eight years. Okay. I usually last place is three, and I, this yes, is 11. Yes. <laughs> I moved down here from D.C., and that was, that, that was hard for me. I yeah. love the city. I yeah. loved it, but it was still farther enough away from everything that it didn't feel like home. Yeah. I don't know. It is... Um, I have a heart. I, I like building things, and then I like to move on. I don't like once they're built. I'm like I'm done. Uh-huh. Somebody else maintain this thing. Exactly. <laughs> so, what were you doing in DC? Teaching. So you've been teaching for. Well, teaching, studying, wandering about, writing. One of my first um, short books came out of the DC area. Yeah. Out of like public, like it was like a small publisher written out there. Um, what was the first thing you? Like, what was the first thing that you published that you were like, this is, this is it. Like, this is, this is sort of the thing that I think is my voice. So super proud of it? Or, oh, I don't have a voice. No? That kind of consistency? No. If I ever get that, I'm in big trouble. I don't want to ever become that voice. Well, does voice mean that it doesn't change? I think it does in a lot of ways. If you can recognize immediately someone's aesthetic then they've stagnated. Oh, so you hate David Foster Wallace then. I love David Foster Wallace. But he's the same. No, exactly. he's not the same. You don't think that voice is the same through all of his stuff? Not not if you look. Go across his flash fiction mm-hmm. into something like Consider the Lobster. Mm-hmm. And then go into Infinite Jest, right? That's. Oh, see, I think Consider the Lobster and Infinite Jest are the same voice. You can hear him. Yeah. But the intention is completely different. Yeah. All the poetry that he brings into Infinite Jest, yeah. none of that's in Consider the Lobster. So here's, here's the interesting... Uh, so I don't read, I don't, I'm not a big poetry or my, or flash fiction. Like I love long form stuff. So I basically only know Foster Wallace from essays to the books and not any of the other stuff. So when I read through the books, I'm like, Oh, this is from, you know, supposedly fun thing. I'll never do again all the way through the first 400 pages of infinite jest, which is as far as I've ever gotten. Uh, it to me seems the same. Not, but not in a bad way because there's so many parts about the world to like. Well, there's a difference between being able to recognize a writer because of what they're bringing into the work, yeah, and then having that voice, that standard voice. That's what I'm. Yeah, he is not Robert De Niro playing Robert De Niro in every movie. Exactly. But if I, and I don't even, but I suspect if I picked up a book and didn't know and read a few pages. Well, how many authors are as erudite as he is? Yeah, that's what I mean. Well, Umberto Echo, I think maybe. Yeah. yeah. This is somebody that has, I've been told that I should read. I have not Echo, read. Yeah. Man. There's too many books. Like I know that exactly. Why, why do you go to so many schools? Why right. do you read books? Right. Yeah. I, uh, and I'm, a, I'm from Appalachia, and I'm working on an Appalachia book, so I've been reading, like, that's sort of where I'm stuck at, like, the, the like, uh, books that nobody ever reads. I just read a collection by a guy. His last name is Pancake. <laughs> oh, and I can't remember really brief little flash pieces yeah wonderful and another tragic guy you know gets to 32 creates his book yeah yeah the 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 new one that just came out in Appalachia is uh hillbilly elegy 
Um, it just came out by, um, he, he's from right outside my hometown. Um, and it's getting, it's funny because the right wing media loves it and the Appalachian folks hate it. I'm getting ready to start it. So I'm interested to see, um, he's a lawyer from Yale who's from Appalachia. So he sort of wrote this. He's trying to like, there is this thing happening right now in the world because of Trump where like people are trying to explain Appalachia, like for the first time in the history of the country, people are talking about the region for something other than being poor. So there's all these people who some are equipped and some are not equipped to really sort of talk about it. So that's the stuff I've been reading is all that like stuff about where I'm from. You were in Louisville, like, um, I was in Louisville for about six weeks of my life. So <laughs> you got out of there as quickly as you could. As soon as they let me out of the incubator, off I was. Um, so, what was the first teaching job you had? The first teaching job I had was at St. Albans Preparatory Academy in DC. Is that a college, high school? It's a prep school. It, it's a prep school for politicians' children. Really? Yeah. How did that go? Oh boy! <laughs> How long were you there for six weeks? <laughs> so I was there for six weeks. I was there for a little while. Um, What's the heck? It, it was it was fun. It was fun. It was more conservative than I was prepared for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would have gotten that from the name, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you were you left there and went to where did what was your next job after that? Um, where did I go after DC? Oh, I came to St. Louis and came right in when academic jobs were impossible to find. Yeah. So I wound up at Florissant Valley Community College. You know, um, so what was your community college? So I have this discussion a lot with people because community college changed in my lifetime. At one point it was a place where you could go and it was its own sort of thing. And, and it did, it had a valuable service. And a few years ago they started trying to make it sort of a feeder into universities. So, well, Flow Valley is special. Yeah. It's um, an inner city school, uh-huh. and I taught the developmental courses. So the O20s and the O30s, um, this is a sentence. Yeah. You know, this is how we get to a paragraph. Yep. So these are students coming in with a fourth and fifth grade reading level mm-hmm. out of high school. Mm-hmm. Right? So they are difficult individuals in general, and they are in the most need. Mm-hmm. So I did that for a few years. Yeah. And it was really hard. I was trained, my teacher training was to teach kids in high school that were about to be thrown out of school. Yeah. So like the, that was why I taught them Whitman. Kids. Yeah. Like the, you were I used Whitman. Right. Because how do you not? Poetry works on these yeah. kids. Yeah. And particularly that kind of like, I don't know if like Ezra Pound is going to speak to them, but like Whitman is like, it was written yeah. for, for people that, cause they know, right? Like they're treated like they're dumb, but they're not dumb. They just don't have they're a language to speak dumb. about and they don't trust that you care about them, right? They've not had the scaffolding in life. And so... I used a lot of um, Allen Ginsberg. Uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Right. And Etheridge Knight. Sure. Of course. Tons. Right. I mean, there's a plethora of that stuff that is just yeah. like, fuck the man, and like, this is... But not like, burn a place down. Like, fuck the man. Like, there is... Like, you can be different. And those things you have inside you, even if you say they're not, are okay. Exactly. It's so... That's why I was so angry at the administration. I'm like, do you not understand who these kids are? Like, they're failing because of you, not because of them. <laughs> I mean, some of them. <laughs> they, uh, but I, did you see, and I, I'm always very wary about talking about that stuff as like, oh, wasn't it like inspiring to do that? Because it's not like it's fucking heartbreaking and terrible, but you also get to see the power of words and what it can do when it, in a very visceral way. 
absolutely. I, th I think when you leave the semester, there's that inspiration, there's that really empowering feeling on both sides of the table. It's when you go back several years later and you find out where the students are yeah. or they're not. Yeah. That's where the heartbreak happens. Yeah. Or like you get the one that made it and you're like, fuck, like yeah. all of this work so that one person. It's worth it though. Yeah. It, it is, but then like I'm not doing that anymore either uh -huh. because really important though I wish that all professors that I've worked with that I've had in all my institutions had put in the time at the community college yeah all yeah. of them yeah I tell my students all the time they're very they're both lucky and not lucky that I'm one of the few professors that was trained as a teacher exactly my undergraduate was teaching kids that couldn't read yeah so it gives you patience and it gives you empathy like nothing else does and I also have tools. Like, teaching's not... It's a skill and a trade. Like, I understand how your brain works and why you learn. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just like, fuck it, let's do this and see if it works. We're doing things because I know how scaffoldings work to make it so that you can think for yourself. It doesn't always work. They don't always love it. But it's not just guessing. Teaching's not really guessing. No, it isn't. Um, and I think too many professors... Aren't, they're just not trained in how to do it, and so they come in and say, "Here's the stuff." But well, they're not trained at all, right? Yeah. Other than their field of, sure. is it that way? And I guess maybe writers have it different, like people that get in MFAs, because you do have workshops and you do have, like, if you came out of dance and even philosophy, I'm assuming there is, there's not teaching, but the classes are not necessarily lecture classes. Not always. I mean, they're, they're discussion based. Certainly, it really depends on what your intention is at the end. What do you hope to produce at the end? What kind of writers sure. do you want to produce? What kind of writers do you try to produce? Ones who argue with me as often as possible. Uh -huh. Yeah. I'm most discouraged when young writers attempt to write like I do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to see any of that. No. I just had this talk with my storytelling kids. They'll ask me how to do things. How do you do this? And my answer is always, right. <laughs> yeah, you, right? how do, do you it. do this? Let me know how you do it. Because if I tell you how to do it, you're going to write what I write. Exactly. And that's fucking boring. Well, it's easy. <laughs> kind of. I'm not even that good. So don't. <laughs> You've been like chosen the worst model <laughs> to try to do. Um, how do they? Have you? Uh, how do they respond to that? Like, how long does it take you to get them to believe that they are supposed? That it's, they're it's supposed not, to argue with you? <laughs> they know that coming in pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. right? So it's not a coddling experience mm -hmm. at all. It's you are on your own in this room, and I'm here to help you make the best work that you make, mm -hmm. but it has nothing to do with my aesthetic. And that doesn't stress any of them out? It stresses them out. That's what I mean. So how long does it, does it stress them out the whole... Like, do they get to a point where they're it comfortable in that? the entire program. They're with me. Really? Well, yeah, two years until defense, yeah, they're stressed. And they need to be stressed. Yeah. No, I, yeah. You and I would be friends in the classroom. I'm the same way. Like, <laughs> critical thinking means... It means critical thinking. Yeah. Uh-huh. I always tell them, I know I'm right, so you don't have to tell me oh, that. exactly. Right? Like, <laughs> I have more degrees than you guys. Like, I know I'm right, uh -huh. so tell me why I'm, tell me why you're right. Yeah. We spend a lot of time learning how to uh, just use proper rhetoric. You know, yeah, how do you form an argument yeah. that isn't just feather puffing and arms crossed and sitting back. Yeah. And how like, do you do that? That's what I teach. Yeah. Um, how, so how do you do that? Like when you, like, so our, at least our thesis workshop and my creative project workshop, I choose one person, I edit them and we put it up on the screen and we go line by line and we 
go through like they must feel so naked when you do that you want to be a writer right like um they all hate it and love it because you can see line by line and i always tell them like there'll be some edits and i'm like maybe i'm going to give you some things that i might do and other times where i'm like this structure just isn't working and then other times where i'll say i don't what are you trying to do here so there's really three kinds of edits like you can ignore these because these are just my thoughts this doesn't work and explain to me what you're trying to do and let's see if what you said other people see so how do you take like how do you get them to the point where they are able to to express themselves or write or do things in the way that they want to like do you go that granular with them um i start on the outside so every one of my grad students has someone that reads their work to them so they can hear it in the air. Yes, right? Which is really important. It is. <laughs> and then beta readers. As many beta readers as possible and people that do not know you. Mm-hmm. It's extremely important that people do not know who you are as a person mm-hmm. and only see you from the work. And not writers? Sometimes not writers. Usually someone in the field. Mm-hmm. But I like to have layers of the beta readers to mm-hmm. go through so that they get as much input from the larger community yep. and centric reading circle as possible. Do you do that with your writing? Sometimes. It depends on how close I am to it. So what what does that mean? So if you're really close, you don't? If I'm really close to the writing, I put it away for quite a long time. And then we'll come back to it when I can see it. So then you're your own beta reader a year later. A year later, yeah. Because we change every day. Uh But I have some editors that I trust a great deal Uh who will look at the work. How soon in the process do you let the people start seeing your work? Flash, my fiction, a long time. Okay, fiction. You work with it for a long time before people. Every sentence, as a poet, every sentence has to do so much work. Uh Right, so that's important. Poetry depends. If it's an immediate piece and I feel it's necessary to get it out there right away, yeah, instantly. Why do you hate the word process? Because it implies. I feel like structures are things you don't like. Do you like structures? (laughs) Process implies that there's some sort of map to this. There's no map to this. Uh-huh. We don't just sit down with a page and know what's going to happen. Uh-huh. And if we do, your reader's going to see that immediately. So you think pro- that's what pro- that's what process means that's to process you? Process means to me. Yeah. yeah. It's the opposite of organic creation. That's interesting because I teach my students exactly the opposite. That there's not a step by step. Like there's not, and I can give you structures, and knowing the structures won't make you a good writer. Um, but you have to figure out whatever your process for writing is. Some people get up and write every day. Some people write once a week. Some people, like, whatever it is for you. Okay, let's substitute that word then and just say intention. Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's, I think that, I think we're, we are on the same Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. it is. Like, anybody that, te- I was telling them, if anybody's telling you a solution, there's there's a price tag to it, right? Like, <laughs> there's not. And I always tell them, like, you're, it's flim-flam that you're paying to learn how to write in a yeah. university because I can't teach you in a class how to fucking write. Go live your life, mm-hmm. and then words will happen. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Don't sit still. Right. Don't sit still. Which you embody. Yeah. Do you think that you... So, like, as you look back, like, you traveled around, like, the military, like, all of that stuff shaped sort of the way in which you view writing? Do you of course. Th- yeah. Are they tied together for you? Yes. So then really teaching writing is flim-flam. I mean, like, people can show up who have that, but you can't give that to them. Well, no one can give that to them, right? 
I can do what you do. I can sit down and show them how a sentence is supposed to work, <laughs> what syntax means, what it does. I can teach the vertical image. Yeah. I can explain, bring in my Jungian background. I can explain how things matter on a subconscious level. I yeah. can do that. That's fascinating. It is fascinating. Yeah. Right? And I can tell them they need to be classically trained. They need to go read the classics. They need to read myth. They need to read fairy story. You have to bring those tools with you. Uh-huh. That I can tell them. But as far as sitting down and saying, this is the step, of course not. So do you think they need to be classically trained? Absolutely. Really? We are, as a generation, dumber than we've ever been. Ever. Really? Yeah. Why do you say that? Because I see it every semester and every quarter. These brilliant students that come in who have never read the Romantic Poets, Mm -hmm. who have never read the Iliad, who know nothing about about Dante, about yeah. any of the... I'm hopeful that I know everything about this so far. I've read all the things that you've said. <laughs> but so, I did all those on my own. Like, I didn't learn those in school. You have to be hungry for it. I yeah. I did too. Yeah. Because you're not going to get it in school. Yeah. You're not. We can give up on that. That's not going to happen. But if, it, if, we're as dumb, if you say that we're as dumb as we've ever been, but you and I didn't read those things in school and nobody ever did, like, is it because parents are... Because you, like, you learn to read... The, the best way to learn how to read is to sit on your parents' lap while they read to you and your kid. That is, if you don't have that, you'll never read as strongly as somebody who did. This is the thing that I know. And so my mom did that, but she read, like, goofy, um, like, you know, Daniel Steele stuff. But whatever, as a kid. And then I just took it to the places that I wanted to go. And that ended up being, like, Homer and all that stuff. So why are they dumb today? Because they're not hungry for it. Do you think it's because they weren't that that wasn't part of their exposure when they were? It has were... nothing to do with whether or not they were read to. Okay, not nothing. It has something to do with that. But I think that we're so fed on a daily basis with information that is meaningless information that we don't feel the real hunger. Yeah. We don't ask the questions anymore. That's None interesting. Of the big questions. How many how many students do you have that come into the room genuinely concerned with why they're here? Not in the classroom, but why they're here. Yeah. I guess I just wonder if I like at some point I did. I also don't know if I was like an out like I would go into the college classroom and I I used to sit on top of my desk like I wouldn't sit in a chair because fuck that. You're not going to tell me where to sit. And I would argue with a professor like every to this day. My friends in college are like you were and I would read everything because I was going to argue with you. Like I didn't give a shit what you're saying, what your degrees were like. You weren't going to make me feel dumb. So that's obviously not the... So when I see kids not doing that, I'm like, oh, why the fuck are you doing anything? Exactly. But it was... I was the only one doing it in my... Like... Well, yeah. This is why I think that you can't... less of them. Yeah. That are coming in. I think this is mine. Like, I was telling, like, you have been standardized test to believe that there's an answer and there's only four things to choose from. And so now when I tell you, like, there's no answer, you don't know how to fucking act because... Well, it's the A, B, C, or D. I'm like, it's says who? <laughs> it says who exactly, and they don't know, and they look around. You know, it's all that looking around instead of just looking directly at you and then back inward. So how how do you combat that? Constantly and in every way you can. Yeah. I'm always pushing material at them. And it's not just the written word. It's music, too. Uh-huh. You know, art, visual art, anything. Anything to make them feel that they need to make something. Uh-huh. Yeah, the refrain in my class is make a thing. Make a thing. Make, make a thing. Make I don't give a shit what it is. Like, just do it. Um, our little collective just published a book called Bad Jobs and Bullshit. And we just put out a call 
and 100 people from around the world sent us fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. And people were like, well, how did you know it was going to happen? I'm like, I didn't. Like, who fucking does a thing and knows how it's going to end up? Like, that's the most boring thing in the world to do. If you know how it's going to end up, don't do it. Mm-hmm. Go on to the next thing. I can't get my kids in a day and age when we publish bad jobs and bullshit, full design, full copy editing, paying everybody. Um, we all share royalties for $500. It's in every bookstore. In an age when you can do that, I can't get my kids to fucking make things. Because they're waiting for somebody to tell them, like, it's okay. And I'm like, uh. Yeah. That's terrifying. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's the thing I don't, un- and I don't understand it. I don't, I don't either. So there is that disconnect. Yeah. I told him, I think I should stop teaching because I don't know if I'm doing you a good, I feel like I'm yelling at you from another time. Like, hmm. oh! From, an- from another time <laughs> yeah. through all these different pieces of glass. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like desktop publishing came around and my generation was like, fuck it, let's make things. And we made zines everywhere. Oh, yeah. They looked like shit. They were read like shit. It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> and you did them until you didn't have anything else to say. Right? <laughs> you did something else. So what do you do? Like are, you say, are you, do you think teaching is a thing? Like do you think you're going to stay? Like is that a thing that's just part of the DNA for you? No. It's just part of the DNA right now. Right now. What's then? What do you What do you do next? What's the next thing you make? The next thing I make will be another book. Yeah, I've got a few more in me at least. And then honestly, I, I just want to see more. I want to travel more. Yeah. And more and more and more and more. My wife and I are having this discussion right now. Like it's been eleven years of teaching. David Foster Wallace said the first two years of teaching were great, and then the third year you're like, oh, this is the part where you don't understand sentence structure. Like you're not learning anymore. I now know. Like oh. I'm also really fortunate in the MFA program. I design my own courses. Oh, that's... Yeah, it sounds really nice. And I teach across all the genres. Yeah. I'm the only one in the faculty who does that. So I'm allowed to, when I get restless, yeah. I, I don't want to teach the new weird anymore. I'm going yeah. to teach creative nonfiction. Yeah. You know, I'm going to teach uh, fundamentals of poetry. Yeah. Right? And on the quarter system, I get a lot of classes. We rotate quickly. Uh-huh. So that keeps things fresh for me. But it's still, at least for me, teaching is great. But it's not making things. It's not making things. Like that, that's the, why we write the books. Yeah. Right? Or yeah. make the dances, or play with our art, or travel somewhere. Yeah. And make something there. So this is where the process for me became, I'm using that word intentionally, um, it took me a long time to realize my writing process is a lot about not writing. I used to get really worried if I didn't write every day, because that's what you're told, right? Like, get up every morning and write every day. And then what I, what, what I ended up doing is writing like 5,000 words in like three hours and then not doing anything for two weeks and just sort of wandering around, you know, like, like I have literally nothing in my head and I'm just like, I need to fill it back up with stuff. And I used to think it had to be specific stuff. And now I'm like, ah, sometimes just sitting down by the pond is filling it up with stuff. Sure. It took me a really long time to understand, like, that's my writing process. Dump it and then fill it back up. And fill it back up. And that may change. Yeah. It will change. It hasn't in a long time. Um, my editing has changed. Yeah, How I, I go back through it. On the side, too, for journals and such. Yeah. That's, that's a totally different thing. But even editing my own stuff has changed because I look at it, like, I look at the writing as dumping and then sort of like archaeology yeah. with editing. Well, you're long form, too. Yeah. That's a whole different beast. Yeah. I can't do poetry. I can't, I reflect, you know, I have lots of friends that do um flash fiction uh, and prose poetry and I love reading it but man I couldn't do it like it's just not my brain doesn't 
think that way. Yeah. My brain thinks in 100,000 words. Let's see, I don't like world building. I love to read it. Yeah. I don't make yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and to me, yeah. And it's it's been an interesting journey, and I just wish that the students could... I have a, a part on my website. It's like every book you should read. It's like 300 books. Like these are the like people ask, how did I end up this way? I'm like, well, start there, I read them all. The most annoying question is like, how, is there like a class that I could take? Right. You know where I'm going? Like, I need to learn how to write. Like, is there a class? And I'm like, yeah, the world. The world. <laughs> uh-huh. Go to the airport, see what's on sale, leave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, there's not a fucking class on that. Yeah, drives me nuts. Um, so, and here today, you're teaching the poetry. Which one are you doing? You I'm can doing do all of them. Um, and you, uh, you was it a chapbook that won the Etchings Fest? Yeah. And so that's the thing that you're going to be reading from today. Yes. And what's the title of that? Some animals. And they can go. Is all this stuff? It's all. I was on your site. Is, are all the my, things my that? My websites. How do they find? How do people find where your stuff um, is? Just the, the press, the university's press. Gotcha. Yeah, they can see that. But my books are listed on my website. Yeah. And the next full length is coming out, so yay, it's exciting. It is very exciting. Yeah. It was interesting because I was on the site and I was like, it took me a second to realize, because it's not, the nomenclature is not, right? Like, it's not web nomenclature. And I'm like, what is tidings? Oh, oh. got it. Yeah, it took me a second. I'm like, why is there ocean stuff there? Not ocean. Not That's not what the tiding means there. Uh-huh. Well, thank you for chatting with me today. This has been great. Um, and I'm looking forward to hearing what you do. And I will make sure that everybody goes and finds your stuff at the UND Press. Okay, thank Thanks. You. So there you have it. That was our interview. I think we got there. I think that by the end, we had found a common ground together. Um, and it was... Really, she's amazingly fascinating. I could have talked to her for hours. Um, I think that we are radically different kinds of people and uh, approach things clearly in very different ways, but have that same kernel of um, whatever it is, the spark about writing and teaching and the ways in which you go about doing things. Um, I thought there was, a, there was a lot of commonality. So her chapbook is called Some Animals, and it's available at Etchings Press, which you can get. Um, this is the Geeky Press, and we do lots of shit. We have a fan fiction reading series coming up uh, at the end of October. We have a book that we just put out called Bad Jobs and Bullshit, which you can buy. We have another book project going on right now called Faith Fully. It's a letter writing um, collaboration where I put out prompts on a monthly basis and people write letters about their faith or their lack thereof. So you can get involved with that if you want to. And we have our weekly meetups around town in Indianapolis. So if you happen to be in the area and you want to get involved in the local group, you can do that. So we have all kinds of shit going on. The podcast is up and running. We have three or four more of these coming in the next couple of weeks. We're actually going to push up our schedule. So you should get to listening so that you can get up to speed and keep up to date with what we're doing. Hope you enjoyed this. Hope you have a good day. Hope you keep listening. Go to thegeekypress.com. Buy Kelly's chapbook, Some Animals at Etchings Press. Until the next time, have a great day.
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.